challenge now face all the time, a new normal. It's way too early to talk about lessons learned whilst a large-scale human tragedy unfolds, but it's hard to think about anything else right now as the brain looks for something useful to grab onto. Joining me now to help me make sense of this new normal for us here in the UK is our resident doctor, psychiatrist, Dr. Chesney Morlander, and joining us from South Africa to talk about how maybe its battle with HIV and TB helped prepare its population for COVID-19 is psychologist Raki Bikram. How are you both? Uh, well, I'm well, thank you, Trevor. It's always good to be on your show. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me, Trevor. And lovely to chat to you and Dr. Sheshney. Brilliant. Right, so I want to first start with you, Dr. Sheshney. The World Health Organization statement this week about living with the new normal, what does that mean for everyday life, and especially for those who are already living, I suppose, with mental illness? And more and more people are now saying that it has affected their mental capacity. Yes, so I think that's really interesting that you brought that up because I think we've all been focusing on the pandemic um, and I shared this previously, but there's a diagram of the pandemic and how we are coping with it. And there's three phases and I can send forward that to you, which we can share with the listeners. But so the initial phase was the fear, so the coronaphobia and the anxiety and fear around the, um, the illness itself and the pandemic. Um, the anxiety and panic. Then we had the learning and the growth phase. So I think living the new normal, so living in the new normal, probably we can relate it to the growth and learning phase. So I think we've all had to overcome the initial anxiety, fear and panic. And now most of us are focusing on growth and learning. And I think that will continue until the rest of lockdown. But the interesting part about it was about the psychological impact on people who, who also have mental health problems. And I think that is becoming more and more um, aware in the public eye because people are getting to know that after the pandemic, the next big crisis that we are dealing with, even at this moment, is the psychological impact. And you can imagine if it's a psychological impact on someone who has already had underlying mental health problems, I think that's going to be even more difficult for them to cope with the new normal. So how do we, and I want to break this out um, in, into two sections really, so those firstly who are already living with mental health, how and what would you say they need to do just to try and get through each day when I suppose the anxiety of everything that, you know, from food, from housing, from being contained, all those things are compounded on someone, well, how do they how do they live through each day? What is your advice for them? And then I want to talk about people like me who are just being now placed in this situation. And a lot of people are thinking, when we come out of this, am I going to have a job? How am I going to pay for the mortgage? How am I going to pay for rent? All these things are around us at the moment. Yes, I do agree. So I think both are really important, the distinctions you've made. So if we talk about people with underlying mental health difficulties, I think the way that they can deal with this is to understand that if they do have a, a mental health condition, that they need to ensure that they are 
whatever treatment, holistic treatment in terms of medication, psychology and social interventions, that they need to continue with those interventions. And I think more and more now, we have more access to the social interventions in terms of online resources and helplines. I think if a person takes a medication that they're supposed to be taking and ensuring that they have enough medication um, and keep contact with their mental health providers, as well as... uh, their um, their local GP practices and mental health services, then I think that would help them cope with with difficulties. The other aspect is a psychological. So if they are having any psychological therapies, they would need to continue with psychological therapies. Um, And a lot of people, I think Rocky can maybe tell us more about how they've adapted now to providing psychological help online. Um, And then you get the... Rocky, do you want to come in on that point? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So teletherapy was something that was uh, not really publicized or not done very much in South Africa. Um, so it's something that we finally, after a huge fight, gotten our medical aides to come on board. So a lot of our medical funding is private. So we have private medical which medical insurance companies that we subscribe to. And uh, so two of the biggest medical aid companies have come on board currently to fund uh, existing and new patients. So for the first time, uh, we are able, so South African psychologists and psychiatrists are the only medical profession able to take on new patients for teletherapy. So we use platforms such as Zoom, for example. So in the past, this was only limited to existing patients. But there's now greater awareness that more people have mental health challenges with uh, the pandemic at hand. So, uh, you know, the, the Department of Health and our medical schemes have come on board to make this more accessible. Most psychologists and psychiatrists are offering therapy online, um, so we don't have to stop contact with our patients. So those who have what we call prescribed minimum benefits, so those are chronic illnesses such as depression, bipolar, mood disorder, and schizophrenia, their therapy will continue and be ongoing during this time. Understandably, many patients miss having that physical interaction and being in person um, with their therapist, but teletherapy has really bridged that gap and made it a lot easier for people. Uh, Of course, many of our support systems are taken away from us at this time. Unlike in the UK, we are not allowed to go for a run. We aren't allowed to go for a cycle or walk our dog, so we have to remain within the boundary of our property. Not everyone has a garden that they could train in, for example. So whether it's exercise, whether it's not being able to access other support systems, such as friends and family members that you're close to, sometimes you need a hug from a loved one. And we know that physical touch releases oxytocin in the brain, which makes us feel happier, which makes us experience positive emotions. And now if we separate it from loved ones, we're experiencing a loss of that as well. Okay, so um, is that you said that's for existing patients? But and, I, and Dr. Shesson may want to finish the second point of what my question was. What about those who are now experiencing and having mental health problems uh, due to the whole pandemic, due to the isolation? What, what happens? What support is in place for them? Yeah. 
So I think people who have now developed conditions because of the pandemic, so as I explained about the diagram, um, and just before I get into that, just to say on what Rocky has said, so in the UK, um, telepsychiatry and uh, teleconsults and therapy have continued as well. So we as psychiatrists and psychologists as well, and also um, GPs, but I know the GP system went into the teleconsults very early on in the pandemic. So most GPs in the UK are just doing teleconsults, and that's for all patients. Um, so, so I think that's been really useful that the health systems have been able to put that in place. And I think moving forward, I think people will have to get used to seeing their psychiatrists or doctors or psychologists on the screen. And moving forward in terms of me working in a hospital and an inpatient ward. So yesterday I had ward rounds and it was done remotely. So I was on the screen with a few other health professionals, as well as the nurses, psychologists, social workers, um, and the other team, and we did that remotely. So it's happening in the UK. We're doing it in our wards, and then we. And that's the new normal across the world, is what you're about to say. Sorry, you broke up slightly, Dr. Shesley, but uh, what I'm getting from both of you is that's going to be the new normal, that kind of digital um, way of having your access to a GP. Um, yes, psychiatrists, etc. Not you know, not just in terms of your film, but generally as well. I think, yes, I don't know how South Africa is handling that, um, but I know I spoke to a GP friend of mine, Dr. Passad, um from Stanger, and she was saying that they are still seeing patients face-to-face. So it's not good for GPs, um, general practitioners. They haven't moved forward in terms of doing the teleconsults, which we are doing. And I think Rocky's just confirmed that as well. So we're seeing more GPs doing uh, consults over the phone um, and over video conferencing. However, you're right, Sashi, that many GPs are still allowing patients to come in during this time. Of course, there's very strict caution if you've had contact with a positive case of COVID-19 or if you suspect you have symptoms. Everyone is cautioned to not go into any healthcare facility, but rather they designated numbers to phone in so you can get advice on what to do. I want to address this to both of you now because you must be seeing or hearing this in terms of colleagues. And that's this, I suppose it's this tension between what is um, burnout and that is, I think it's called vicarious trauma because of the things that they're seeing and hearing. Talk to me about that and talk to me about when we finally, not even when we come out of this, what we're dealing with right now, how are we supporting our health workers through all of this? Because this must be a terrible thing for them every day when they go home and then start again to just get through the day. I mean, it's not about burnout. It is about trauma. But talk to me, Dr. Shazen, and also you, uh, Rocky, you know, how are we supporting yeah. colleagues here? So in South Africa, psychologists and psychiatrists have firstly come together to offer uh, free services to all healthcare workers. Really? Uh, you know, also down on the telephone or video conferencing via Zoom. Um, so we banded together and there's just one designated number you call and there's several psychologists and psychiatrists throughout the country who've offered their services. However, you know, there needs to be thought to what about the psychologists and the psychiatrists who are doing this work for the first time ever? You know, we, we're good at empathizing because that's what we do best. But for the first time ever, we're sympathizing because we are going through the exact same things 
and our patients are experiencing. So our self-care and our burnout prevention is really important. So, you know, our healthcare workers, so psychologists and psychiatrists have really formed a very good buddy support system at the moment where we're reaching out, we're checking on each other, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and it's obviously cross borders because Dr. Sashini and I have bigger chatting, mm-hmm. you know, I have uh, colleagues in Australia, for example, where we keep in touch to see what's going on in our countries and we share our experiences. So knowing that we're not alone because we feel very alone anyway. Of course, those of us who run private practices are kind of removed, but we still have ways of keeping in touch. But at this time, we're more removed than normal from our usual support systems. So there's a concerted effort amongst psychologists, amongst psychiatrists within the country and across borders to check on each other, to offer our support, to to be a listening ear, to offer tips on what is working. Yes, I agree with what Rocky is saying, and I think we are doing very similar. Um, so as much as I'm communicating with Rocky and, and professionals in South Africa and globally in India and other countries, um, we have done the same in the UK, but I think we've also included all professionals. So we, when this start, the outbreak started, we started a WhatsApp group locally in Milton Keynes, and then, and then we started a psychiatry global network. So I think we've all been supporting each other, so not just uh, doctors and and psychiatrists and psychologists, but it's been everyone. So we're trying to support the whole system. And I think if I talk about two elements, so one is in the inpatient settings, because as you know, we've got a lot of hospitals countrywide, worldwide, where we have patients that are having to deal with this and we're having to support staff as well. So what we do in psychiatry is we do something called the SWAT rounds. And the SWAT rounds is a way of actually supporting people. So in our our hospital specifically, we started doing these rounds very early on. So we'd have rounds with um, the professionals. It'll be 20 minutes twice a week. And it was increased more frequently if it was needed. But um, And the rest of the hospital had their own rounds in terms of the why. So we were just as doctors first, psychiatrists. And then it was extended to managers and their other health professionals. And I found that very useful. And I was even contacted by a local hospital to provide support on the SWATS rounds. So I think that's very useful to, to help our uh, professionals because, as you know, and we're going to talk about the BAME um, and a lot of BAME deaths as well, we know that um, you know eventually from the burnout, also from getting the infection and the anxiety and fear, working on the front line, the isolation, aspect being in lockdown um, and then working long hours these can all lead to a number of mental health problems which I'm just going to list so I think the first thing is the coronaphobia I think we were talking about that um, so coronaphobia is a fear so all health professionals have that myself including because I'm working on the front line I have patients on my wards and in my hospital up to over 100 cases um, in the two hospitals I work in um, and even people close to me have become positive so doctors and nurses so we are having to deal and support with them daily um, so whether it's through a text message or phone call or an email, we're having to support them. The next at next aspect of people, um, so I'm just doing a general term, but I'm also relating it to healthcare professionals because I think it's not isolated to just the healthcare professionals that are affected. It's everyone that's affected with burnout 
and with this vicarious trauma like PTSD type symptoms. So I think that's the other effects is what um, I think I read an article where they said that even Boris Johnson post his discharge, um, the one of the psychiatrists um, said that one of the complications he can experience is PTSD because of what he's gone through of actually having coronavirus. So I think that's the uh, the trauma, going through that trauma, having the infection and the illness. Because I think people are sharing various um, stories. So initially people say they might just get a cough and a, a fever and a, a headache. And then some people describe it that it can be like for two weeks, they can't get out of bed, they're extremely lethargic, they have terrible pain, fever, and the headache and the coughs are so bad that they cannot manage so I think all that trauma of experiencing something like that um, can lead to PTSD. So either whether you've got the illness or even if you're going through this pandemic, all of us are going to look back and remember, okay, we read about that person dying or we've heard about, you know, that person, um, you know, being infected. So I think it's going to be a trauma whether we've experienced it personally directly or indirectly, we're all going to experience some form of trauma. And I think that's why psychology is going to be key in managing that. The other things, and I think we shared an, an article, Trevor, very early on in our um, um, in our radio shows from the university um, in, in London, the London College, where they did... Um, in, in that, was it February or March? Yes. February, yes. So where they did an, uh, a study of the SARS pandemic, and very much similar to the psychological impact from that research was what we are experiencing. So, like I said, the coronaphobia, the, um, the PTSD, the depression, the isolation, anxiety, fear and panic, and then we come into things which you've mentioned just now, just the basic fear, like we don't have enough food. Um, you know, they highlighted that that was another fear of people globally where they were concerned that they did not have enough food, um, that they felt they did not have enough money. And I think the economy is going to be something that's going to be a stressor, a financial stressor for people more and more. We're going to see that as much as there's this physical health complication and thing that we're worried about, I think the financial stress is also going to be something that's going to impact on us globally. And I think Rishi Sunak in the UK has said this is going to be the worst global recession, the recession we're going to see in the UK in the, the, over 30 years. So I think he's saying it's going to be quite serious. And that's something that we all know. And I think we are experiencing because we can't go to work. Um, and I think I'm sure Rocky can share what's going on in South Africa with the lootings and the killings and people are, it's, it's a fight for survival where people are concerned that they don't have enough food. I want to move on to, thank you, Dr. I actually want to move on now to South Africa because it has the highest number of recorded COVID-19 infections, still lower than, than Europe, though. And, yeah. and certainly, I suppose, in many ways, because of the experience, as I alluded to this, at the beginning of the show, it's uh, experience of dealing with HIV and tuberculosis kind of a, put it, I suppose, on a better footing to deal with this. But I also, what other lessons were learned and, and how is it? How are you dealing? How are people dealing? In, in, in fact, when you think of Cape Town, which is one of the top five most congested places on this planet where social distancing can't really take place, how are people getting through this? And, and I suppose that's why we're seeing a lot of looting and unrest. 
So I think there's a lot of social political unrest. Uh, however, our crime rates are a lot lower since the, uh, there has been the lockdown. So um, very rightly so that because of living conditions, not everyone can social distance. So what the government has done has designated certain quarantine sites. We have many homeless people in South Africa. So they have been made arrangements for them to be housed during this time. So social distancing is a lot more possible. Uh, you know, South Africa has a high crime rate. And we're seeing crimes now, particularly one of the differences, again, with the lockdown in South Africa is that this, the sale of cigarettes and alcohol has been banned. It's something that's been re-looked at, and I, I think rightfully so does need to be re-looked at. The reasoning behind it was very logical in that there's a lot of domestic violence um, and people who consume too much of alcohol can be dangerous. However, withdrawal symptoms cause other problems. So there have been a lot of lootings of liquor stores, for example, during this time, there's been a little bit of police brutality, which has been, uh, which is being investigated. Um, but I think all in all, uh, there's been the greatest respect for our president during this time. I think he's shown great leadership and as difficult as the lockdown is, socioeconomically, uh, the economic impact on the middle and lower classes has been phenomenal. It's something that we can't even put into words. However, I think there's just unanimous agreement that our president has put lives first. It's lives before money because we can rebuild, we can earn money again, but we can't resurrect people from the dead. So human life has been prioritized more than anything else. And I think South Africa's really as a country come together and shown that spirit of Ubuntu that universe, uh, that unity in diversity, where you know previously we've seen it uh, through sporting games uh, during the 2010 FIFA World Cup when we won the Rugby World Cup last year. Oh, but yeah. we've really united situation this year. We see, you know, many people because of the crime rate, many people don't know their neighbours. But now everyone's reaching out. People are taking care of the elderly. They're looking out for other people a lot more. So that spirit of unity is very prevalent. Brilliant. We're running out of time. I really want to talk to this point now. Um, I don't know how it is and it translates in terms of South Africa. But we are seeing, and this week in the news headlines, we've seen a high rate of de deaths amongst uh, BME doctors and nurses um, because of the coronavirus. And Dr. Shen, I want you to speak to this point because there's a lot of issues, and uh, Rocky talked about the social and economical earlier on in terms of South Africa and, and dealing with, with different uh, social um, classes within South Africa. Are we seeing more deaths uh, because there are more black and Asian nurses and doctors on the front line, or is there something else going on here? Yeah, so I think um, the, I mean, it is sad that we're seeing a lot of brain uh, people on the front line, healthcare professionals, nurses and doctors that are dying. And I think the first 10 doctors that died in the UK were BAME, um, but they were not out of low socioeconomic. Um, so just to highlight that point. And then the second thing, we know that we've also seen um, that, um, you know, that that being, I think the BMA, the British Medical Association, are saying that because there's so many 
been professionals that are dying that they actually need to investigate it as to the reasons why. One of the professors from Bedfordshire said that they're doing studies around it. And I think he was saying that it's possibly because of the socioeconomic, mm-hmm. um, possibly because of the high risk of beings that have high blood pressure, hypertension. Also, I think Rocky mentioned the point about socioeconomic and obviously living in cases where there's not enough space to actually do the social distancing and isolation. Um, and I think then also looking at stress factors and also um, privilege. So I think there's various things that they've isolated. But to be honest, I don't think that we can actually say um, that BAME are at more risk because uh, they are BAME. I don't think that's the case. For me personally, probably there needs to be more investigation into what we've just highlighted. But I think uh, for me, it's more reflective being a BAME doctor myself and working with with a lot of BAME professionals. What I see day-to-day is I'm interacting with a lot of BAME professionals who are actually fighting this pandemic. I think it's 44 to 47% of the population um, is BAME from the NHS, and they are highly... They're, and, they're, and even the study which the professor mentioned was that there's a high uh, prevalence of these bees in the... Um, in the health and social care, in nursing, in mental health, and in hospitals. So the reason why we are seeing so many things, I think, is because it's more reflective that they are on the front line and they are consistent um, in working. Because we're not seeing that many of the other of the other population groups that are working on the front line. And that's no offense to anyone, but it's just I'm talking from my personal experience. And I think the other thing, the two other things I just want to mention about Bain is one is about the BCG. So they were talking about the. You're running out of time, so you're going to have to be really quick on this. Sorry. Yeah, they were talking about BCG and whether that was something which obviously needs further, um, you know, further looking at. Um, And then also looking at, you know, in terms of Bain, I think, you know, they are. Probably they, they probably will not be able to speak out if they, I think according to the BMA, they say maybe the BMA won't be able to speak out if they don't have equipment and also bullying and being forced to work. So I think nothing can be conclusive about why there's a high prevalence of BAME. And if you compare the rest of the world, we can't say that BAME are higher risk because look at South Africa. Compared to the UK of 12,368 deaths and South Africa with only 30 deaths, how can we say in India, which has a less number of deaths, how can we say that BAME are high risk? Thank you, Dr. Chesney. Sorry, though, we're going to have to cut you short. Uh, we're running out of time. Big thanks, though, to Dr. Raki Bikram in South Africa and, of course, Dr. Chesney. You can follow Dr. Chesney on all socials at Dr. Chesney. Now, stay ahead, though, as artist Richard Milner shares his feelings.